Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. So I don't know if you were hoping for a Christmas message this morning. Uh, if you were here before worship, I was reading in Leviticus about having to do with leprosy in the house. And uh, so I'm like, well, how do I make this Christmassy? Well, I kind of did the slides anyway, so they look kind of Christmassy. So uh, hopefully that'll help. Um, but it, listen, if you come out on Christmas Eve, uh, we're gonna, I'll have a, I promise I won't teach in Leviticus on Christmas Eve. We'll, we'll be uh, looking at the Christmas story then. Uh, so come on out at 6 p.m. on Tuesday. Tuesday evening. Um, speaking about Christmas, though, so, you know, I, we don't normally buy a gift for each other, but I asked Teresa this week, I said, Teresa, honey, what would you like for Christmas? And she said, nothing would make me happier than a diamond. So I bought her nothing. So we're good, man. <laughs> All right, all right. The only thing I hate worse than a bad Christmas joke is hearing chestnuts boasting in an open foyer, but you know, that's never okay. <laughs> Don't quit my day job, I know, okay. All right. Hey, but seriously, last week we looked at the disease of leprosy. We talked about the law, uh, the ceremonial law for cleansing from leprosy. Um, and, and one thing I mentioned last week was, uh, you know, uh, the laws for cleansing was meant that you were healed of leprosy in one way or cleansed of it. And there's no biblical record of anyone being, you know, like getting better. Like, the, you know, like you get a cold or something. There's some people that are sick today. Uh, they got flu symptoms, uh, uh, Thompson family. You know, all of them are throwing up and stuff. And, and, uh, but, you know, fortunately, by God's grace, that's going to pass, right? That, that, that's, that's just temporary. Um, and, but in the Bible, when someone had leprosy, there's no record of someone like, you know, they wait 10 days and they're better or, or, you know, a month or whatever. The only time we read of anything happening is when they're healed of leprosy. And of course, what a, what a beautiful picture when Jesus, uh, who looked plain on the outside, and yet here he is, he's healing the lepers, he's, he's raising people from the dead, he's giving the blind sight and the, the deaf they're hearing, and the lame are walking, and what a beautiful testimony of who he was. And so here we're looking at leprosy, um, and we talked about, again, leprosy on individuals, we looked at that yesterday, or last week, as well as leprosy in garments, which was some kind of a mold or something uh, that probably quite possibly could have been contagious uh, and and uh, it was also in wool or in leather today we're looking at leprosy in a home and so you that, that'll be kind of interesting but why don't we go ahead and read that so Leviticus chapter 14 if you have your Bibles you want to follow along verse 33 and the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying when you have come into the land of Canaan which I have given you as a possession and I put the leprous plague in a house in the land of your possession. And he who owns the house comes and tells the priest, saying, It seems to me there is a plague, some plague in the house. Then the priest shall command that they empty the house uh, before the priest goes in to examine it. Uh, to examine the plague, excuse me, that all the house, all that is in the house, may not be made unclean. And afterward, the priest shall go, go in to examine the house. And he shall examine the plague, and indeed, if the plague is on the walls of the house within grain streaks, greenish or reddish, which appear to be deep in the wall, then the priest shall go out of the house to the door of the house and shut up the house seven days. 
And the priest shall come again on the seventh day and look. And if indeed, if the plague is spread on the walls of the house, then the priest shall command that they take away the stones in which is the plague, and they shall cast them into an unclean place outside the city. And he shall cause the house to be scraped inside, all around, and the dust that they scrape off, they shall pour out into an unclean place outside the city. Then they shall take other stones and put them in the place of those stones, and he shall take other mortar and plaster the house. Now if the plague comes back and breaks out in the house after he has taken away the stones, after he has scraped the house and after it is plastered, then the priest shall come and look, and indeed if the plague has spread in the house, it is an active leprosy in the house. It is unclean, and he shall break down the house, its stones, its timber, and all the plaster of the house, and he shall carry them away outside the city to an unclean place." And one of the dangers when you're going through passages like this is to just totally spiritualize it uh, when you're interpreting. And, and so, you know, this is an actual situation that would occur with a leprosy, a, you know, some kind, of a, some kind of a mold or some kind of a, a diseased kind of back, you know, whatever it was uh, in a home, in the stones of the home. And this passage of scripture deals with how to diagnose it. Um, you know, mention, mentions greenish and reddish streaks. So some of our houses might look like they have leprosy today because of all the Christmas colors. But, um, you know, so how do you diagnose it? And then how do you deal with it? And one of the things to uh, consider here, maybe a question to think, did the house become leprous or have leprosy because lepers were in it? You know, is that, is that, I mean, how did it, how did the house get it? Was it because lepers came in the house that were infected and somehow it got on the, on the walls and then that, that caused the walls, the, the home to be infected? The answer is probably not. Because when it was suspected here in this passage of scripture that a home had leprosy in the walls, uh, they wouldn't be told to empty the home. You would leave everything, or, excuse me, uh, if the house was suspected that, you know, if the lepers had caused it, uh, they wouldn't want you to empty the house, right? Because, you know, a leper got in contact with whatever, chairs or table, and if that was the case, then all that became uh, infected. And so they wouldn't tell, in this passage of scripture, they say, bring everything outside of the house so that they don't become unclean. Otherwise, they would have said, leave everything in the house because everything's possibly contaminated. You might say, well, that's kind of a, 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 an interesting point, but what's the big deal? We'll get to that in a few minutes. So the leprosy was in the stones of the house itself. In other words, it wasn't somebody came in and infected it. It was in whatever, however it got there, it was in the stones of the house itself. Now, remember from last week, we talked about leprosy in the Bible, and it's a picture of sin throughout the Bible. It's, and just like sin, leprosy was almost imperceptible at first. You, you know, it's like you didn't feel it. It wasn't a pain or anything. It's just all of a sudden you just go, wow, I got this weird spot on my, heart, on my arm or my hand or something like that. Uh, and and, it, and it, would, it would be very imperceptible, hardly noticeable, but it would slowly grow like cancer. It's more than skin deep. One of the things of the examinations we talked about, the priest was supposed to look, and if, if the spot was on the skin, on the, on the surface of the skin, you know, he's away and check it out and come back seven days, and on the eighth day, he'd look at it again, and if it was deeper than the skin, then it was probably leprosy. And so leprosy, it's more than skin deep. You know, sin comes from our hearts, comes from the hearts of man. The, the heart is des desperately wicked. Who can know it, Jeremiah says. 
Also, leprosy destroyed sensitivity. We know the Bible talks about being deceived by sin. Sin causes deception. Sin not only causes deception, sin causes separation. Separation from our Lord, separation from people when we sin against them. And leprosy, like I mentioned, there's nobody getting over it in the Bible, only healed from it, only cured from it. And so leprosy, uh, excuse me, only healed from it. Leprosy was incurable. It resulted in death. And that's the same thing with sin. We can't get over sin. We can't cure ourselves. We have to be healed by a touch of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what's interesting to consider is in 1 Peter 2 verse 5, Peter says this, and he's speaking to believers, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. Isn't that interesting? Peter calls you and I living stones that make up a house. We are the, the body of Christ. We are the church. We're the house of God. This building's not the house of God. This building's just a building. But you and I are the church. We're the house of God. We're living stones. And so the question comes in my mind is, can a church be infected with sin? Can a church be infected with sin? Now, remember, I made a big deal out of the point that it wasn't the lepers that were in the house that caused the sin. It's just like, you know, a church... Uh, you know, it's not the people that come in the church that cause the sin. Listen, people always accuse the church of being filled with sinners and hypocrites. And my response to them is, you're absolutely right. And we have a lot of empty chairs. There's room for you, too. Because that's the reality. That's the reality. We're a bunch of sinners. We don't expect you to come here and you've got to have your act together before you show up at Calvary Chapel, Rochester. That's not what we're about at all. We're about sinners coming and, and having an encounter with Jesus Christ. So we don't turn anybody away. But I think this picture of this leprosy in the house, it's a picture of what can happen in a church as well. You know, it's a picture that deeper than the surface leprosy like sin, what kind of sin is deeper? It's under the surface that can infect the entire church. What type of sin starts out almost imperceptibly but slowly grows like a cancer? The sin that's just below the surface, the sin that causes separation, the sin that results in death. One of them, I think, is the sin of gossip, the sin of dissension, causing strife grumbling and complaining, sheep biting sheep and devouring one another. The Bible talks about that. That type of sin, gossip, dissension, strife, grumbling, it's below the surface usually. It's murmuring. It's, sometimes it bubbles up to the surface, but it's usually below the surface. It's, it's, it's almost imperceptible. You know, there's murmurs, little, little and it, it grows like cancer, and it causes the separation of people. There's divisions that happen as a result of it. It also results in death. What kind of death? Well, the death of relationships, the death of someone's good reputation, and, uh, and, and you know, let me give you a few passages of Scripture. Proverbs 16, verse 28. A perverse man sows strife, and a whisperer separates the best of friends. Cause of separation. 1 Corinthians 3, 3. For you are still carnal, for where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? 
Paul wrote this in Romans 16, 17. Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. It's kind of like the picture of, hey, I've got this stone and it looks like it's got leprosy. I think it's also not just gossip and dissension and strife. I think it's also a picture of the sin of apostasy, which is false teaching. That false teaching in some, you know, you, you look at some people's ministries where they've gone way off into the deep end. They didn't start out that way. They started out very sincere. Their ministries were just, you know, biblically based and everything. But something happened and they just kind of slowly went in, in, a, in a weird direction. It starts, uh, you know, rather innocuously, innocuously like leprosy. You know, a teaching that's just slightly off. There's just a smidgen of a lie mixed in with a bunch of truth. Just a smidgen. Uh, but it slowly grows to full-on apostasy. Paul said this in Acts 20, verse 30. He said, also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Now, like the house infected with leprosy, it was inspected by the priest, and the priest was the one that looked and said, yep, that's leprosy. What does Jesus say to the churches uh, in the book of Revelation, the seven churches of Revelation? Every chapter, every, every church, he says, I know your works. See, Lord Jesus Christ, he's looking at each church, each group, each body of believers, and he's the one that's looking and seeing if those, those sins of those, that leprosy, the sin of leprosy, the, of gossip and strife and division of false teachings, if those are existing in the church. But unlike a house with leprosy in the stones, we don't just go tear out a stone. Hey, you're an infected stone. Get you out of here. You know, you're the one causing the problems. We'll get you out of here. We don't do that, right? That's a little, that's a little bit of a difference. We know from the New Testament there needs to be loving confrontation. We need, we need to deal with the issue. If there's, if there's that sin occurring, we need to deal with it. But we deal with it in a loving way. We follow the guidelines laid out for us in Matthew chapter 18, where you go to a person one-on-one. -on -one, you, know, you, don't, you, don't, you don't air their whatever's going on in front of everybody. You, you go to that person individually, and you talk to them one-on-one. -on -one. You might have just taking care of the issue right then and there by approaching that person. And then, of course, there's other steps to take if they don't receive it or they don't repent, whatever. But we have, there's a loving confrontation. There's an opportunity to repent. We're not like looking at everybody who goes, aha, you're a wicked stone. Get out of here. You know, we don't do that here. We give people an opportunity to repent. The goal is also restoration. It's always restoration. There's an opportunity for restoration. But if there is no repentance, if there is no change, then the only thing left is to ask that living stone to leave. They might not be a living stone in that case, but and you know, it's for the health of the entire church. Because otherwise, just like this house, it's like this leprosy, it just it just keeps coming back. It's 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 not going away and it's growing. Eventually that house just gets destroyed. And ministries get destroyed sometimes when things like that are left unchecked. So I do see a picture here. Well, verse 46, we read on in chapter 14. It says, Moreover, he who goes into the house at all while it is shut up shall be unclean until evening. And he who lies down in the house shall wash his clothes. 
And he who eats in the house shall wash his clothes. But if the priest comes in and examines it, and indeed the plague has not spread in the house after the house was plastered, then the priest shall pronounce the house clean because the plague is healed. And he shall take to cleanse the house two birds, cedar wood, scarlet, and hyssop. Then he shall kill one of the birds in an earthen vessel over the running water. And he shall take the cedar wood, the hyssop, the scarlet, and the living bird and uh, dip them in the blood of the slain bird and in the running water and sprinkle the house seven times. And he shall cleanse the house with the blood of the bird and the running water and the living bird with the cedar wood, the hyssop, and the scarlet. Then he shall let the living bird out, uh, loose outside the city and in the open field and make atonement for the house, and it shall be clean. So we have this purification ritual for the house that was cleansed of leprosy. It's interesting. It's the same as the person who's cleansed of leprosy. We talked about that last week. Now, the significance of the two birds, the cedar wood, the scarlet, and the hyssop, is very significant, but we dealt with it in depth last week, so I don't want to cover it this week. If you're, if you're not like, I wonder what he's talking about, you listen to last week's message and take notes, and you'll, you'll, you'll pick up on it. Verse 54, this is the law for any leprous sore and scale, for the leprosy of a garment and of a house for a swelling and a scab and a bright spot to teach when it is unclean and when it is clean. This is the law of leprosy. So we get to the end of that chapter. And now we get to chapter 15. This is one of those chapters you kind of wish it was like not there. But And now for your favorite subject in mine, bodily discharges. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's there, you know. Um, all right, Leviticus chapter 15, verse 1. You might say, what does that have to do with? Well, you don't want me to put any pictures that are kind of representative of what we're talking about, so I just didn't want to gross anybody out. So there's a nice picture to look at while you're looking in your Bible. All right, verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When any man has a discharge from his body, his discharge is unclean. And he shall be in his uncleanness in regard to uh, his discharge, whether his body runs with his discharge or his body is stopped up by his discharge. It is his uncleanness. Every bed is unclean on which he who has the discharge lies, and everything on which he sits shall be unclean. And whoever touches his bed shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. He who sits on anything on which he who has the discharge sat shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. And he who touches the body of him who has the discharge shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. If he who has the discharge spits, that's gross, right? <clears throat> if he who has the discharge spits on him who is clean, then he shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. Any saddle on which he who has the discharge rides shall be unclean. Whoever touches anything that was under him who shall be unclean until evening, he who carries any of these those things shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. And whomever the one who has the discharge touches and has not rinsed his hands in water, he shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. The vessel of earth that he who has... That he who has the discharge touches shall be broken, and every vessel of wood shall be rinsed in water. Again, you don't want to spiritualize away this passage. This is dealing with literal 
discharges, literal physical things that are going on in a person and how to deal with it. And the isolation and the cleaning aspect of these, of these laws, it was vital to the public health of the nation of Israel at that time. But the interesting thing to me, because I'm reading this and I'm going, okay, well, where's the application? How, I mean, you know, how do we, how do we, what do we pull from this? What was very interesting to me is <clears throat> we go from the chapter dealing with leprosy in the home, and I kind of talked about it, you know, the, the, the symbolism I see in it is, is a picture of the church, leprosy in a church. We go to that to individuals with bodily discharges. You go, well, is there a connection? You know, it's fascinating to me. In the King James Version, wherever we read about these discharges, it's called an issue. And I thought, ah, oh, there's the connection. Leprosy in the house, and then when there's people with issues. <laughs> you know, it's interesting, because one thing I hear when people are confronted for causing strife, or when they become disgruntled and leave the church, we've had that happen before, it's usually because they have an issue with something. I thought that's kind of interesting. They might have an issue with the person. Maybe they have an issue with me. They might have an issue with a decision that was made. You know, I can't believe you guys chose gray for the carpets. I'm out of here. You know, believe me, that actually happens. It hasn't happened to us, but it happens. Or it might have an issue with how something was handled. I don't, I, I don't appreciate that. And then someone has an issue. And instead of dealing with it, like the Matthew 18 way, this issue kind of festers. And it's infected, and it infects anybody that comes in contact with it. I mean, think about it. A discharge, as we're reading here, it's something that comes out from inside the person. It it's from inside, and it comes out. And it not only causes the person who has it to be clean, but everything they touch, everything they come in contact with, becomes unclean. So next time when someone in church comes, he goes, hey, I got an issue. <laughs> go, oh, ooh, go, stay away from me, man. I don't want to hear it. Go talk to that person, man. Deal with it. I don't want to become infected. Well, how does one become clean again? Notice, and man, I tell you, we go through all these different, these different uh, ceremonial cleansing. Notice how much water is used in everything, it's wash with water, wash with water. Why is washing with water is significant? I don't know, I mean, from a health aspect, I guess I do know, but symbolically, we know that the, uh, the word of God is, is, is pictured as water. And so washing with water, I think, is a picture of washing with the word of God. When you have an issue, you've got something that's just, it's just, it's, it's gross, it's infecting, it's, it's disgusting, you deal with it. Get washed in the word. Psalm 119, verse 9, How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. That's all we got to do is read the word. Paul tells husbands in Ephesians 5, 26 that, that to wash their wives with the water of the word. It has that cleansing effect, reading scripture. Jesus told his disciples, John 15, verse 3, You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. You know, the, the, the word, we read the word and, 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 you know, maybe sometimes we have an issue with someone else. And, you know, I'll be honest, sometimes the issues that I have with someone, a lot of times I, I'm doing the same thing. I just, I don't see it in me. I just see it in you, you know. And so it's, it's a problem because you're sinning and, you know, I don't even think about myself. 
But when I read the Word of God, man, I tell you, it convicts. I go, wow, uh, I'm not very good either. I mean, I'm, I don't match. I don't live up to this standard either. It, it causes me to extend a little grace to the person around me because I'm not a perfect person either. So the Word of God, it cleanses us. It, 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 it just it reveals the truth. It, it, it takes away all the junk, all the arguments, and it, and it just lays out the truth. Sometimes, you know, we just need a brainwash. You guys need to be brainwashed this morning. I go, what? Um, Nicole C. Mullen, Teresa went and saw her in concert, and she has a song about being brainwashed. You go, yeah, I knew it. I know Christians are brainwashed. Listen, we are, and we need it every once in a while. Philippians 4, verse 8. This is how you get brainwashed. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Wash your brain. The Bible says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But we, we, can, we can deal with those issues. Man. We'll get into the word. Follow that. Follow that, that. That the path of you know dealing with it with an individual, one on one. Verse thirteen of chapter fifteen. And when he who has a discharge is cleansed of his discharge, then he shall count for himself seven days for his cleansing. Wash his clothes and bathe his body in running water. Then he shall be clean. On the eighth day he shall take for himself two turtle doves or two young pigeons and come before the Lord to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Give them to the priest. Then the priest shall offer them. The one is a sin offering and the other is a burnt offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord because of his discharge. So it's kind of interesting. The discharges above, um, these were abnormal discharges. This is like this, this guy's got, there's something going on. It's an abnormal thing. It could be the result of disease or sin possibly because it's interesting. In this one, this passage here, there's a sin offering and a burnt offering offered. So I'm not saying it is necessarily always sin but it could be. There's that possibility. Notice, though, again, with water, that he's to bathe his body in running water. You know, it's, it's, what's interesting about that was this is prescribing a health practice that wasn't practiced by medical doctors until very recent modern times when they discovered bacteria and how bacteria, you know, the, how bacteria affects a body. Uh, it wasn't until then that modern medicine said, you know what, you can't just wash in a, bathe, in a, in a basin of, of, of stale water that's not moving because you're not doing anything, but it's got to be running water because the running water runs, uh, washes, sloughs off the, the bacteria and any other contaminants. It's like God knew this before. It's like, did he go to medical school? I, I don't know. <laughs> No, I do know. He's the one who created it. But isn't that interesting? You know, you look at some of these, uh, uh, who's the president that was assassinated in the 1800s after the Civil War? Somebody, anybody? Who's a presidential historian here? No, it was after Lincoln. It was another guy that was, and he lived for a while. Oh, man, I, uh, 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 no, it wasn't McKinley. Okay. <laughs> anyway, it's like I should have done my research. I saw this special about this president. Uh, was it Rutherford? Garfield. Garfield. That's it. James Garfield. 
He was shot. He survived it. So maybe that's what threw everybody off. This was a trick question. And he, 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 did you win at uh, the uh, uh, trivia yesterday? <laughs> you should come up here and do an entire message with Jimmy Stewart's voice. I mean, that would be awesome. <laughs> um, so he got shot, and uh, the doctor that was examining him filthy hands just started digging around trying to find where the bullet was in his wound and there was another another doctor um, that was just kind of discovering this stuff about uh, bacteria and stuff he's like man you get you get this is you're, you're doing him a disservice well because this guy was kind of like the president's doctor you couldn't argue with the president's doctor and and uh, uh, anyways Garfield it's really a sad story he got in he got an infection and he ended up dying from his infection if they had just practiced some of these health things he would have survived but he didn't. And so, yeah, I mean, that's not that many years ago, the many generations ago that up until then, people were dying because they just didn't understand this concept. And yet here it is in the Old Testament, thousands of years ago, to wash, their, wash in running water. I know, it's just interesting to me. Well, the next section here deals with normal discharges. The stuff before was abnormal. This is normal discharges, a husband and wife and their intimacy and a woman's menstrual uh, period. Look at verse 16. If any man has an emission of semen, then he shall wash all his body in water and be unclean until evening. And any garment on any leather on which there is semen, it shall be washed with water and be unclean until evening. Also, when a woman lies with a man and there is an emission of semen, they shall bathe in water and be unclean until evening. If a woman has a discharge and the discharge from her body is blood, she shall be set apart seven days and whoever touches her shall be unclean until evening. Everything that she lies on during her impurity shall be unclean. Also, everything that she sits on shall be unclean. Whoever touches her bed shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. And whoever touches anything that she sat on shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. If anything uh, is on her bed or on anything on which she sits, when he touches it, he shall be unclean until evening. And if any man lies with her at all so that her impurity is on him, he shall be unclean in seven days. And every bed on which he lies shall be unclean. You'll notice there's no sin offering for this situation here. There's no offering required for this. Why? Because this isn't sin. This is just ceremonial uncleansing. This is just uh, in the confines of, 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 of either uh, uh, husband and wife married or uh, you know the the normal menstrual uh, period that the, the, all women experience. There's nothing. There's nothing sinful about that, and so there's no sin offering for that. But now we go to verse 25. It's something a little bit more, a little bit more abnormal. If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, other than at the time of her customary impurity. Or if it runs beyond her, un her usual time of impurity, all the days of her unclean discharge shall be as the days of her customary impurity. She shall be unclean. Every bed on which she lies all the days of her discharge shall be to her as the bed of her impurity. And whatever she sits on shall be unclean as the uncleanness of her impurity. Whoever touches those things shall be unclean. He shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. But if she is cleansed of her discharge, 
discharged, then she shall count for herself seven days, and after that she shall be clean. But on the and on the eighth day she shall take for herself two turtle doves or two young pigeons and bring them to the priest to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then the priest shall offer for the one, uh, offer the one as a sin offering and the other as a burn offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her before the Lord for the discharge of her uncleanness. So this is for a flow of blood that went beyond the normal menstrual cycle. And in this time, the entire time that this is continuing, she is considered unclean. So as a result of that, she could not participate in anything at the tabernacle because she's unclean. If she was married, her, husband, her and her husband would not be able to have sexual relations as long as that flow continued. Anything and anyone she was in contact with would likewise become unclean. So the entire time that there's this flow. Now what's interesting about that is it gives us much greater insight into a story that occurred in the Gospels. In Luke, Luke's Gospel, Matthew's Gospel, Mark's Gospel, they all record the same thing. And I'm going to just, if you want to turn your Bibles, you can to Mark chapter 5. Verse 25 to 34. So now that we have this, this understanding, we look at this woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years. Verse 25 of Mark 5. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but grew, rather grew worse. In Luke's gospel, it says that she spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any. So you think of her status, her situation. Financially, she spent every last penny trying to deal with this issue that she's dealing with. She's suffered, it says she suffered many things from many physicians. You know, in Abraham, or excuse me, in George Washington's day, you had some kind of sickness, they would cut you open to bleed out the sickness. I mean, you know, think of all the things that they, that medicine, they, they, they didn't, I mean, they didn't know, so they were trying different things. So here's this poor woman, and you could just imagine that the doctors and the physicians that day, well, let's try this, let's try that. Poor woman's going through all these, all these treatments that weren't helping. So you can imagine what she was dealing with physically. Not only that, 12 years of blood uh, constantly, you know, flowing, what would her iron count be? She'd probably be weak. I mean, unless her diet, you know, compensated for it, she'd probably be weak all the time. So physically, pain, you know, suffering from all these different treatments that didn't do anything. And on top of that, she's probably uh, weak, you know, physically, literally weak all the time. Emotionally, she would be stigmatized. She's unclean. If she was married, they were not to have any sexual relations. And in that day, divorce was very, very common. Uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, it says, When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house. And then it goes on to talk about that. There were two schools of thought in that day, in Jesus' day, in the day when this was occurring. 
One was more of a conservative rabbinical teaching that that, that uncleanness in, De in Deuteronomy 24, that was for sexual immorality or adultery, the sin of adultery. So if your wife committed adultery or some kind of sexual immorality, then you were justified to write her a certificate of divorce. That was the conservative understanding. There was also a liberal understanding. The liberal understanding was that that uncleanness could be just about anything. I mean, your wife, you know, burnt the falafels. You could kick her out of there, you know. She, 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 did, she said something that just, you know, you didn't agree with. She's out of there. That was the liberal interpretation of that. So you can imagine, I mean, you know, it, it, a husband reading that, if, I mean, if they, if, of course, if he loved his wife and was committed to their relationship, you know, that wouldn't matter, right? Us guys are like, yeah, what's, what's the big deal? We deal with that. But how easy would it be for a man if they were not, if they were part of that liberal persuasion to go, yeah, that's it, you're out of here. We had a sad thing. We had a, a, a lady that came, you know, in our soulless ministry. Over the years, we've had many, many people come. They come here to Mayo Clinic, and then they come for treatment. And a lot of times, they would come and stay in our home. And uh, this lady came from northern Minnesota. Uh, she was a friend of, of, a, of a friend. We got a, found out about her anyways. And she had cancer. And she was coming down to Mayo Clinic to be diagnosed with it. And she stayed with us during that time. She has since passed away. She had a relationship with the Lord. She's with the Lord. Um, but what's interesting was when she was diagnosed with cancer, her husband up and left her. And so she was all by herself. So she came by down by herself. She had just dealt with her husband leaving here, leaving her. She's dealing with cancer. She's dealing with the high cost of you guys know the high cost of medical stuff, and and it was just it was a it was a sad thing, a hard thing to watch in a person's life. So, uh, th going back to this woman, you can almost imagine what her life might have been like. She probably was alone. She probably felt alone. I mean, you're stigmatized anyways. It's not like you can go, you know, we had the Christmas party. She wouldn't have been able to, felt like probably she couldn't go to this Christmas party because uh, I'm impure. And if I touch anything or anybody, then they're going to get on. I can't do it. So she would feel alone. Alone. Emotionally, you can imagine. It, it, you know, it'd be like a, a, a hopeless situation. It's almost like being a leper. Except the only difference between the lepers, the lepers eventually die from their disease. She might have, you know, it'd be like she's got the same stigma, stigmatizing as a leprosy, but it didn't go away. <laughs> you know, it's not like she's not part of her misery. It's just like it's, it's going on and on and on. So you can imagine how hopeless or seemingly hopeless she felt. Spiritually, for 12 years, she couldn't go to the tabernacle. So it just gives you a greater insight into this whole story. And going back to Mark's gospel, when she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. It's like, it's like her last spark of hope. She spent all her money on medical med medicine and it didn't work. She's without, she's just, she's at the end and she hears, hey, Jesus is coming to town. He's passing through. Maybe, maybe if I just touch the hem of his clothes, there's a flicker, a flicker of hope. And so she does it. Immediately, the Bible says, the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. 
And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, hey, who touched me? I don't know if he said it that way. But, <laughs> but you know, the way, the way you read it in the gospel, he, maybe he did say it that way. I don't know. Because Luke's gospel says, man, they all denied it. It's like, it didn't sound good when he said, who touched me? It's like, hey, I didn't do it. I didn't do it, you know. Finally, Peter's like, Master, <laughs> you're in a crowd. It's like you're at Mall of America. And you got, you're got bumper to bumper, elbow to elbow with people. And you said, who touched you? It says, but his disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done this thing. But the woman in Luke's gospel says when she realized she was not hidden. So it's like, okay, the jig's up. Fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Can you imagine what she's thinking? That was the first WWJD. What would Jesus do? <laughs> it's like, what's he going to do? I mean, I just made him unclean, and he's the master. He's the teacher. I just infected him. And that's probably what she's thinking. He's going to be, he's going to like, why did you touch me? I've got, I've got stuff to do, and now I'm unclean until evening. You know, maybe that's what she felt. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. So here's a person who's unclean, ceremonially, if nothing else, She's embarrassed. It's not something you talk about in public. And if they do know about it, she's, you know, she, again, she's stigmatized. The thinking also in that day is if you're sick or infirmed in any way, it's the result of sin. That was the Hebrew thinking. It was something you did or something your parents did. So here she is, just barely clinging on to hope. She says, if I just touch the hem of his garment, maybe I'll be made whole. And guess what Jesus did? Jesus praised her for her faith. That blows me away. Because notice that she didn't claim her healing. She didn't claim her healing. She didn't name it and claim it. She didn't have positive, affirmative healing. You know, I got to say everything positive. I can't say anything negative because I don't want to hinder my healing. She didn't say anything like that. How much faith did she have? Well, she must have had a lot of faith. No, she didn't. If she said, maybe, maybe, maybe I'll be made whole. She didn't even have a guarantee in her heart that she was going to be made whole, but she was willing to take a step of faith and try with no guarantee of success, and that's all it was. Jesus is just looking for that flicker in you and I, just that flicker of faith. I think that blows away all that positive faith, you know, the, 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 all that teaching that I think, I think is kind of off in the weeds a little bit. And so you go, well, okay, so we've talked about that. Listen, sometimes I wonder, at least when I was preparing this, I was wondering, do sometimes people come into our church and they feel unclean? Maybe they are unclean. They've done something terrible or they're, 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 they're very embarrassed for themselves, the life that they've lived or the things that they've done. Maybe they're coming to church and they're just... It, they're just clinging on to hope. Maybe they go, you know, maybe if I just go to that church or I drive by it all the day, maybe if I just go there, maybe something will change in my life. Maybe, just maybe. No guarantee. They just, they just come in and they want to give us a try. And I wonder, 
when someone comes into a church like that or comes into our church, what do they encounter? What do they encounter? Do they encounter a church with festering leprous stones? Where there's this undercurrent of these divisions going on in this church, this, this group of people don't like this group, or this people don't like that person, or whatever. Is those underground, underlying things going on? Or do they come, uh, you know, and then you get in contact with them, and, you know, after a little while, it's like, you know, don't listen to that person, or stay away from that person, because, you know, what do they encounter? Or do they encounter the healing love of Christ? Do they find hope, love, and acceptance? We had a lot of visitors yesterday. At our, at our, I, was, I was surprised how many visitors came. It seemed like there was more visitors than not visitors. It was, it was good. It was a good problem. I loved it. When they come, do they find hope, love, and acceptance? Do they meet cleansed lepers who are out living their faith in tangible ways? All of us, we're lepers. When it comes to, when you look at sin, we, we all had leprosy. We've all been healed up. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we've been washed clean. We're, you know, but we are former lepers. Do we have that understanding? Do we have that empathy for people? Do we take the time to notice the individual in the way that Jesus, you look through the Bible, man, Jesus always seemed to notice the individual. He wasn't there for the crowds. They were around him, but he wasn't there for the crowds. He was always singling out the individual and ministering to the individual. Is that what we do? When someone comes through those doors, and maybe they look unclean, maybe they look like, you know, I don't want to stay away from that person because oh, there's something weird about them. Do we give them the time of day? Do we make a point of meeting them and trying to know a little bit about them? I'll be honest with you. You know, I, I, this is not a, hopefully you're not taking this as a condemnation because one thing I've heard from visitors that come to this church is they do feel welcomed. They do feel accepted here. So I, I want to encourage you. This isn't like you guys, you terrible people in this church. I'm not saying that at all. But this is a good reminder for us, I think. You know, to, to think about it, you know, someone coming in those doors, you know, maybe they've just lost their, you know, they're, they're, they're in the midst of a divorce or something's terrible happened or they just feel terrible about themselves. How do we, how do we minister to them? What a good, I think it's such a good, a good picture here. And uh, so let's praise the Lord and, and ask the Lord, Lord, uh, you know, help me to be one of those healthy living stones in this fellowship. And that when people come in here, man, they encounter Jesus Christ. They don't encounter personalities and issues and stuff. They encounter the hope, the healing, and the love of Christ in this fellowship.